hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Welcome everybody to the show, Freightonomics. Yes. While we let our slow jams bring you in uh, and welcome you to the position of learning about the macroeconomic environment combined with that freight market. Yeah, I mean, that's the vibes. That's and the vibes. That's the slow, chill vibes that we're bringing to you today. Chill vibes. Notice, so did you you're, hear what I did? is this going to be the entire show? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be the entire show. You making these cold and chilly puns. I mean, it's the season that things I, cool down a little it. bit. We start to feel a little bit, you know, cozier. <laughs> I'm here for it. I hope the people watching are also here for it. If you happen to be on LinkedIn, appreciate it. You can also head over to tv.fruits.com. That's where all the good stuff is. That's where all the high quality content is streaming around the clock. But if you are watching on LinkedIn, I'm going to be looking at my computer every once in a while to see if you have any comments, questions, anything like that. Want to jump into the conversation? You can do that there. But I have to start up and thank our sponsor. So we have Envision Global. So if you haven't heard already, Envision Global is a leading global freight audit supply chain management services company offering enterprise-wide supply chain solutions. With over 4,000 global business partners, Envision Global not only provides prompt, accurate freight audit solutions, but also providing industry-leading supply chain information management solutions and services necessary to help its clients maximize efficiencies within their supply chain. To learn more, visit www.envisionglobal.com. Envision Global, we appreciate it. Yes, we do. And the, the supply chain needs all the help it can get uh, at this point. We've got lots uh, to go over today. Now, if you haven't noticed already, we've been talking about things that are cold. <laughs> We're going to have somebody on uh, a little bit later, Matthew Mugar, and forgive me if I pronounced that incorrectly, but he's going to come on and talk about some of that refrigerated market and its capacity, as well as uh, try to bring him into this discussion about what's going on at the ports uh, and all the congestion issues. He's positioned out there in Los Angeles, so obviously very close to the epicenter of all of this, uh, what I've considered the epicenter of a lot of this disruption to the supply chain here over the last bit. But first, let's start things off. Let's get loose. Let's warm up with a few memes. I didn't have any memes the last couple of weeks. Let's do some memeonomics. I see it. What do you have? Yeah. So first meme of the day. Uh, you can lead a human to knowledge, but you can't make him think. <laughs> <laughs> I just, funny. I just, this was, this just made me chuckle. Um, the, I guess the point of this meme, it's a horse dragging a person. <laughs> uh, you know, the whole horse to water thing. You yeah. Get, yeah. You get, I mean, good. if you have to explain it, is it funny? That's good. I mean, and, and then think and drink also rhymes. I so mean, it does. Enough. There's layers here to this meme, to the punology. Deep, deep stuff right deep. here. And, and the point here is you can give you all the information that you want you still have to do there. It's up to you on how to use it, what to do with it. And there's a lot of information out there right now. So, you know, you have to incorporate it into your own perspective, your own uh, workflow, et cetera. You got to think about it. It's useless if you don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's one of the big things that that's what all this is about is mm -hmm. giving you the information, giving you the, the, the data behind it. And then we, we kind of spur some ideas, but you can run with those ideas. You can say, hey, how is it applicable to me? How can I take this idea, this concept, or whatever is going on, and really kind of make it applicable to my life? And really what I see things happening in any industry, any kind of subsector, anything like that, a lot of the times it can be applied to multiple industries. It can be applied to the macro Mm -hmm. environment as well. So yeah, I kind of like this one. Exactly. Don't just take everything at face value. Think about it a little bit. 
uh, as you know, we don't all have every single answer <laughs> available. So you do have to incorporate it a little bit. So my next meme, this is a little bit more my, you know, I guess tone most of the time, a little sarcastic here, uh, but in a pleasant way. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's basically a post of a sign for those of you that are just listening. Uh, we are very short staff. Thank you for your patience. If you uh, are out of patience, please ask for a job application. Yeah. Thanks. I, I love this because I, I guess anybody that's gone out <laughs> here yeah. the last bit, the service industry really uh, still struggling to get back on its feet in terms of overall staffing. Most, a lot of companies are, uh, especially on the uh, the blue collar side of things. Those, a lot of those people moved on to different jobs. They found mm -hmm. other things to do uh, because their jobs dried up during yeah. the pandemic. And we're still struggling to recover that uh, that capacity uh, in the employment sector. Although your jobs report came out pretty good. Yeah, well, some good news here. But yeah. real quick on that meme, you know what it makes me think of? What? Traffic. Like, I go out, I'm starting to drive around, I'm on the freeway, I'm on the highway. I'm not sure what the difference between the two are. Anyway, I go out and there's traffic. And then immediately, I'm mad. I'm angry that there's so many people out, but I'm people. I'm part of the problem. And so it's just like, why are all these people out? Why is there so much traffic? I'm part of the problem. So I, I don't know why this meme makes me think of that. That's that's pretty deep, dude, actually. Yeah. I mean, but you are part of the problem. I'm we part of the agree. problem. We <laughs> can agree traffic. that. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, the, the employment situation, you know, we just came out though with the jobs, right? Yeah, jobs. So, so they were, good, good news, good news. So I always say like, you need a winning equation. And mm -hmm. so what we saw with the latest number from the initial jobs claims, so that there is now under 300,000 initial jobs claims. And so that is a benchmark in a sense. So what was the, what was the running total before the pandemic? Though? So what's if our, you woke our, up, what's our goal? Yeah. If you woke up say it was, you know, May, 2018, and you saw that it's Thursday and initial jobs claims came in at 235,000, you were like, Oh, okay, cool. Whatever. It, it would be, it would be like a nothing okay. story. It's just like hey, fluctuations on right. a week to week basis. So we are now in the 200,000s, and that's big news because okay. that kind of gets us closer to that normalcy. We're in the same, uh, you know, 100,000, right. uh, you know, trajectory that we would have kind of remained in that little bubble before the pandemic. And it now, was, we were in, we probably had overemployment in 2018, right? We had, yeah. It was a really tight market yeah. coming up into 2019 when we saw that it was like, you know, 3% employment, things like yeah. that happening. So if we see something in the 200,000 mark, it's good. Um, if it popped back over 300,000, okay, whatever. But now that we're, we've broke that $300,000, uh, uh, not dollar, 300,000 initial jobless claim uh, benchmark, that's great news because we also saw payment. Um, payroll from the ADP report showed that there is a significant increase in those um, uh, confirming labor those private employees, they saw that uh, unemployment rate came down to 4.8%. Um, we're seeing that openings came down at just a hair, still uh -oh. at a historic high. Uh -oh. <laughs> um, so we are seeing good things. Okay. The other big thing is that, that I, I kind of talk to during Freight Waves now is those that are hiring, making sure that they're hiring for 2022. Right. And so one of the great points Andrew Kotz even brought up is making sure that you're hiring and you know, taking advantage of sign-on bonuses or one-time bonuses, things like that. Because if you're hiring and say it's ten or $20,000 above market value for this, this employee that's really earning 
their 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 value during this busy time just because it's insanity right now. Right. It's not going to be ins- it's going to be insanely busy in 2022 as well, but not quite at the same level. So now your overhead might be a little bit priced out because you spent all this money on giving all these employees that are way above market value. And now we're looking at an inflated situation. Oh so Don't do that. that could kind of shift <laughs> things into the other side. So a little interesting tidbit to kind of, you know, be mindful of. But the thing is, in 2022, we are going to see more continued growth. It's going to be slower growth, but growth nonetheless. Nothing in the lines that's showing that it's going to be any kind of recessionary trends popping up. Freight volumes are going to be plentiful for sure. There's plenty of black backlog to work through, even if we start to see some slowdowns. Right. So employment looking pretty good. These are positive signs for the economic well-being, except be mindful of the future. Something we tend to struggle to do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as a, but I mean, to our defense, uh, it's hard to predict the future and where things are going to be in a year. You know, yeah, I you, would never have predicted where we are uh, today. That's why you need year. an economist. Yeah. <laughs> except you. You say, obviously know everything about where we're going to be. Everything's 50-50. Either <laughs> it's going to happen or it's not. You know, that's, a, that's all it comes down to. All right. Let's hit up some news stories of the week uh, before we bring Matt on. And you know, there, the, a lot of these stories are pretty, you know, I'm going to go through a few of them pretty quickly here because they're all revolving around some of the same stuff, uh, but they just kind of reiterate and hone in on the fact that the supply chain is still a mess. Yeah. Holiday season's right around the corner. A lot of the goods that you're trying to order right now will not get here in time. Uh, and that's just the bottom line. If you haven't already come to that conclusion, uh, here are some of the things that are contributing to that. And then by the end of it, I there's one that's trying to fix it fastly, uh, or quickly, I should say. Fastly is not a word. <laughs> <laughs> Make it into one. Make it into one. Uh, so the first story comes from Bloomberg. Uh, nothing left but fear frightens or heightens Vietnam's factory crisis. So basically, this is a story about how, uh, you know, the outbreak, the COVID outbreak, like we here in America are kind of like, oh, we moved on. Yeah. Even when it came back in September, we were kind of like, eh, is it really here? You know, and, but we kept moving along. Uh you know, we never fully shut down and did this zero COVID mentality that a lot of these countries, such as Vietnam, tried to implement. Australia, New Zealand, both gave up on that practice of, you know, no COVID is allowed. The Delta variant became so transmissible that you could not, you just, they basically were like, this is scientifically impossible for us to contain this thing at this point. And we found out that the herd immunity was so low in these countries, they're actually more susceptible to it um, at, at times. So it, it's Vietnam is now having a pretty significant outbreak, yeah. and it's impacting their industrial sector dramatically. So what this means is that a lot of the apparel that we produce over there, like Nike, they call out Nike in here specifically, not they're not going to have the labor force to produce this stuff as all these people exit the industrial uh, belt there in the southern region. Yeah. Um, you know, you got any thoughts on this? You've got an estimated over 2 million may vacate the area, which functionally says, ah, Christmas is canceled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think I think we might need to do a new segment. Um, throwing it out here, it's going to be, how did that age? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's going to be the new segment uh, when we have like a hot take or something yeah. like that. And then we'll play it back and we'll have like this dream state like music that plays harps. Right. And then it'll say like a statement that we had previously. But I think historically we have said that the U.S. is likely going to recover faster. Yep. Um, and I think sadly that's what we're seeing. 
for these other countries, it's not happening at the same rate, at the same pace. And so I think we're going to see more of this. And I think we are, just because we're out of the woods, potentially, I don't know what another variant is going to pop up here. If we're going to have COVID-22 or something like that. <laughs> I don't know about that COVID-22. aspect oh or, or, or Epsilon or something. Right. I don't know. But the thing is, is uh, we are seemingly out of the woods mm-hmm. in a sense where cases are coming down, things are looking up. Consumers are buying, people are being people, Americans are Americaning, making up a word there. <laughs> so I think right. from that standpoint, we are in you know a good position. It's so easy to get insulated in what right. we're doing here, not just from our consumer standpoint, but from world news in general. I mean, you always see those comedy shows that say, hey, who's the president of <laughs> Italy? And no one knows. Nobody or knows. I don't know. Anything going on (laughs) outside of our hub. You know, you'll be hard-pressed to say Justin Trudeau was doing something in Canada. So (laughs) it's all these things happening. And um, I think that's going to be amplified, especially with the COVID situation um, with other countries. And that's that's the hard part is because it's like, we just want our stuff. But yeah, at what cost? And I mean, we have to really kind of dive into what's happening. Yeah, first world problems (laughs) personified are right there. Right, right. Let's move on to the next story, which is, uh, reported by uh, Kim Link-Wills, uh, Hapag Lloyd and CMA CGM uh, temporary steering clear of Savannah. So basically, they're moving their boats uh, away from the port of Savannah into Jacksonville and Charleston uh, because they have a little bit more bandwidth. Their ships piling up at the port of Savannah like they are in Los Angeles. Um, this to me is interesting because there's there's an eight to ten, ten day backlog in Savannah right now in terms of your ship gets to the you know, the bay, then you have to wait <laughs> yeah. before you even hit the dock. So uh, this to me, it, it's not shocking. Uh, but if I'm op- if I'm operating around these areas, I mean, wh- why not Florida? Florida has so much inbound freight uh, compared to its outbound freight. Jacksonville, you know, if they can handle, obviously it has less to do with the surface transportation here and more to do with the, the ocean, but it makes way too much sense if you can get that. Uh, yeah. You know, Jacksonville's not far away from Savannah either. Uh, but some of those other ports down the coast, Charleston also very consumer centric market compared to Savannah, which is very outbound heavy. I think, you know, the trucking market will be able to at least absorb some of this fascinating development there uh, on that side of things in terms of alternate ports. Certainly something to watch out for as it messes with networks uh, internally. Yes. Um, this one, this next story. I think is a little bit more your speed and up your alley because it speaks to the future of inflation and up, upcoming economic conditions. Uh, Greg uh, Miller writes this one, inflation alert, container ship owners see boom through 2022, effectively pointing out that unprecedented demand for container ships will not end anytime soon, according to executives of companies that rent vessels to ocean carriers. Their overwhelming confidence is yet another ominous sign for beleaguered cargo shippers and another signal that inflation could persist. Your thoughts on this one? Yeah, it definitely it's going to persist. And uh, the sick part of me wants it to just happen in a significant way just to kind of slow down demand a little bit, right. just so the supply chain can catch up. And I know sick because inflation's awful and we see instances of hyperinflation that really kind of drug down economies, things like that. But if there was just an easing, in a sense, for demand for just a little bit, just to give us a little bit of, of, of time to catch up in the supply chain. Right. You think we're going to have a little bit of a hangover, though? 
and, and for after, after you know 2022 or whatever oh like people buying less stuff yeah you think nah. they're gonna have so much they're gonna look up in their house it's gonna be crammed full and they're gonna be like i don't need all this no they might just say <laughs> hey the iphone 13 s is coming out <laughs> is what i've only had this phone for two months let me get the s you know like <laughs> let me see what that's all about so well i think as long as consumers have the money they're going to spend it. Yeah, these guys, these guys agree with you, and they think that we are in for the long run. They, they may think about the ship investment here. This yeah. is not a small investment. You don't just go and build a ship because you have a hunch. Yeah, you. This is a pretty big sign right here to me. And our last one, probably the biggest news story of a, for a while. Uh, you know, Joe Biden has gotten involved here, uh, politically speaking, saying, you know, work harder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, effectively. And Walmart boosting off-peak container processing in LA by up to 50%. And the whole idea here, like it, it, this highlights, you know, what the president basically is saying. We need private industry to jump in, help with relieving some of this pressure on supply chain. Speaking of first world problems, <laughs> our president's jumping in saying, hey guys, make the stuff my my people want faster. Yeah. You know, get this stuff cleared out. Like how... How, I mean, yeah. I had to point that out. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it of, all goes in full circle. It's economics uh, 101. We got to have <laughs> our stuff. If you don't have revenue, your companies don't do well, your economy goes bad. And that's just the world we live in here in America. But the, you know, they want, and I'm going to kind of slow down here for a second here. So basically, moving goods during off peak hours can help move goods out of ports faster. For example, the Port of LA, goods move 25% faster at night than during the day. Okay, less congestion around the ports. My problem with this whole thing um, is this is just one point yeah. in the hose, you know, that's kinked up right now. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the good things here is that he's gotten UPS uh, or Walmart has gotten UPS commitment to increased use of 24-7 operations. Something they already kind of had, but I'm sure they're expanding it. FedEx, same thing, um, as well as Samsung. Uh, commitment to move nearly 60% more containers out of these ports by opening, uh, operating 24-7 through the next 90 days. So all these private industries having, you know, come together saying, we're going to move some stuff out of the ports. Here's the rub. Yeah. This isn't the only problem. You have chassis that are short. You have warehouse space that is increasingly full. Uh, around these areas, you have drayage operators that don't have enough drivers to move this stuff. I think you're going to see a little bit of easing here, but the real situation, like they're not going to commit to long-term investment. And that's the big thing there. That's that, the big thing there. And, and the <laughs> infrastructure, it takes time to build it up. And it's mm -hmm. like a clog in a tube and you just kind of move that clog further down mm -hmm. and it really puts pressure on all the other areas where right. like you said drivers chassis and where are they going to get these employees and then, didn't we just talk about how they couldn't hire these blue collar warehouse workers yeah. and draymen of all things like you don't just walk down the street and say oh you know what why didn't we think of that yeah let's just let's just hire more people and work more yeah yeah and thing is one of those places where when we're looking at warehousing we're looking at a lot of areas upstream these were places that were in need of more people yeah. that were paying really up elevated bonuses relocation packages things like that because they're in such dire need and so right. that was a thing before the pandemic imagine now it's just 
absolutely exacerbated. So. I, 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 this this to, to me feels a lot like grandstanding and political posturing saying, look, I'm trying to do something uh, about this in terms of, you know, people talking about it. But the reality is, is that the supply chain itself needs a lot more attention than just one aspect. It is not all sitting in the port. It's not all sitting in a driver uh, or a truckload or the rails or a Vietnamese factory. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we just covered the entire gamut of the supply chain right there. And they all have their own bottlenecks. Yeah. And they all are connected to each other. So you kink one part of the hose. This one has like five kinks in it. Yeah. They're talking about unkinking one. <laughs> and the pressure is going to go all across the board. And yeah. so, um, you know, let's let's go ahead and bring on our, our guest here. Definitely. So he's been waiting patiently. And I know that he is out there in Los Angeles and, you know, he he's been a part of the Like he's probably been uh, feeling a lot of this pressure uh, that we've just been talking about. But I want to get his take on some things. Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you know, give everybody uh, an introduction uh, and tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Good morning, guys. Um, I, I just wanted to say thank you for bringing me on the show. Uh, I am co-founder uh, of Boa Logistics, also Logica Trucking and a flow cold uh, storage here in Los Angeles. And we specialize a lot in actually in two different items. One is port logistics, which is exactly what you guys are talking about. And also we specialize a big deal in in final food, uh, cold chain delivery and storage. So everything you guys have been talking about the last couple of weeks, I feel like you've been talking directly to me <laughs> and I, I'm so happy about it. I love it. I love it. Like, so, I mean, you literally, I mean, you're, you're sitting out there in LA and I didn't know how much inf or impact that the ports would have on you. And you just saying that you have the port logistics influence there. I'm really interested to hear your take on that. Uh, but first, I kind of wanted to set the table here because we haven't covered the refrigerated sector very much here uh, lately. And I, I feel like they're, they've been kind of ignored. So I want to bring some light uh, to our audience here about how the refrigerated sector has been doing over the course of the pandemic, some of the challenges and obstacles that have been uh, happening and where it stands. So let's get things started here. Like, just to explain a little bit of background about why the refrigerated market is different than, say, your general commodity dry van uh, situation? Great question. So we, we, we are in a niche market, which is in LTL refrigerated freight. And a lot of our, our clients are going to the big box retailers, such as Trader Joe's, Costco, Aldi, um, Cisco. And, you know, if I were to, two years ago, Going into 2020, if I had known what we were going to be coming up against, I mean, this is something that was unprecedented. And our market is such a niche focus. It's a small world, but big players are in here. Now, it is, a, I mean, I can go on for a long time about the difference between dry freight and reefer freight. And, uh, you know, there are so many different things that, especially in this current market, Usually, the ebbs and flows of the market, and you guys probably know about produce season versus non-produce season, high and low season. In 2020, we skipped all of that. So we were in high season the whole time, which automatically turned it into a driver's market. 
and drivers controlled pricing. So we saw elevated pricing across the board from 40 to 100% right off the bat. So, yeah, you know, now, pause uh, right refrigerated here for a second. Like, yeah. I, I, you said produce season, and I actually had this written down because I wanted to talk to you about it. Uh, yeah. Produce season, of course. You know, normally it's this big spike of movement out of the West Coast in general, but all the there's different regions of the country that have produce movements at different times of the year. Um, but that tends to have uh, this produce season more than any other tends to have a, an exaggerated impact or the potential to impact the rest of the country's capacity. Correct? Coming That's out of California, correct. yeah. So yes. tell me. Tell me what you mean and kind of expand on this idea that produce season, because I, I kind of wrote a chart of the week about it yeah. <laughs> back in March, that produce season came early when really it was, I was, it was just the market itself was so tight uh, throughout the year. Uh, explain what you mean when you say that produce season just kind of, it was just tight all year long. <laughs> so I'm glad you asked that question. So normally in our industry, we start seeing things settling down before the holidays. Mm -hmm. And around early January till about May, since we're out of Los Angeles, our consolidation, we have anywhere from 50 to 60 full truckloads filled with LTL freight going outbound every single week. We have these low seasons, which is right before produce season, right before the heavy agricultural side of California starts supplying um, the market. Uh, we usually have a low season where where brokers and carriers, the pricing's kind of flip. So there's always an up and a down, a high season and a low season. Right. In this particular case, due to COVID and due to unemployment issues and due to, you guys are hitting it, hit, hitting the nail on the head, there was such shortage of drivers and capacity issues due to the drayage issue, due to the port logistics, that there just was not capacity enough. So what happened was a truck that normally would cost $5,000 going across, uh, uh, going to the East Coast was now $10,000, $11,000, $12,000. And a lot of these drivers no longer did multi-stop deliveries, which is, which is the bread and butter for most consolidations. They need to stop in different distribution centers nationwide, right? Um, a lot of these guys said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a one pick, one drop. If you ain't going to help me, I'm going to hang up on you because someone else is going to take my truck. So, yeah, it, definitely this year has been completely, completely unique and different. Uh, it's a different beast, uh, you know, and, and the sad part about it is that ultimately uh, the clients are going to have to pay for it, right? The manufacturers, but eventually it comes down to the consumers. What cost you 99 cents a pound for like, you know, fresh mangoes might be double that, right? And, uh, you know, now these retailers like like Aldi and Trader Joe's and Costco are pushing back because rising freight costs is causing things to be more expensive. So now we've got this push and pull where we used to have annual contracts. Now we're, we're having to look at it on a quarterly basis at the bare minimum. A lot of great points there. A lot of great points there. And, and Matt, one of the things I, I mean, I'm seeing here is that there's just so much pressure, of course, across the board, got the supply chain. Do you see any relief at any point or any area of it. So it seems like, of course, everything's moving at, you know, this rapid rate, but are you seeing any relief or any kind of pullback on any part at all? So Anthony, Anthony, great question. Um, 
if you were to ask me back in July, during July 4th, you know, during the any any three-day holiday is just havoc on our industry where everyone's going on three-day vacations. Our teams are, are are working, you know, double time. And if you were to ask me back in July what our capacity issues were going to look like, it was just ridiculous. And I think a lot of it had to do, and I'm sad to say it, is that we had unemployment issues. And you, you again, like you said, our, our day laborers, the guys that do lumpers, our warehouse, our local drivers were not able to be employed because they were getting, they were, we just didn't have the ability to hire people. Because unemployment ended for the majority of the staff, uh, of the people that were to be staffed in the warehouses and in, in the areas that we needed most uh, fulfillment, I believe that now we're going to start to slowly see something settle. We're going to have a little bit of relief because now we have more people in the job market trying to get those those jobs, those those blue collar positions, right? Especially right before the holidays. Now, I don't believe it's going to let up that much. I think you guys are are correct. I don't think until maybe third or fourth quarter in 2022 we're going to actually see some normalcy. And I think a lot of it comes from um, it, it come it, it comes from we are you can't just invent new ways. Kind of like what you were talking about with what Biden was asking us to increase 60% of, of capacity to pulling from the ports. But how can you do that if you don't have chassis, if you don't have trucks and you don't have drivers? You can't just invent it out of thin air, right? So what we're doing is we're struggling because we the, the stimulus programs had a bunch of people that were unemployed, sitting at home and just clicking and buying, which caused this influx of all these goods coming into our country and congesting everything. We just need time for that buy to settle down. And I think that's not going to happen until end of 2022. I, I, I love what you just said there. Like I, I've been saying this for, for weeks now is that this is not, this is not something that you can simply just, you know, wave your hands and go, all of a sudden we have infrastructure. <laughs> the ports now are twice the size that they were before. The containers are now all in the places they need to be, <laughs> you know, and it, it, yeah, work can get you so far, but there's physical limitations. And I was explaining this to some of our people, uh, you know, here internally that don't have the logistics background, uh, Matt. And it was, I basically was telling them like, when you're going in through like supply chain management 101, something I never took, but I know the, <laughs> I know the outline, they draw this wavy line and then there's two lines sitting right here. And they say, here's the maximum peak. Like you were talking about with produce season and seasonality. Um, this is basically your high season and then you go down in your low season and normally it's pretty predictable. <laughs> what we've seen over the last year, uh, has been exponentially more <laughs> than what anybody is accustomed to. And it's across every single industry, uh, at this point, I think industrial side, correct me if I'm wrong, Anthony is now ticked up as well. The, you know, so the idea here to me that you can just kind of say, all right, we're just going to now have all this infrastructure. It's like throwing Los Angeles traffic in the middle of Chattanooga, Tennessee and saying, okay, we just got to fix the roads and build the roads. Well, roads take forever to build. And so I guess long-winded lead into this question for you, Matt, is what are, you know, other than just demand side easing, uh, what are some of the things that you see that people are doing or maybe you think, you know, should do to kind of mitigate while we're in this overheated environment uh, at any point in the supply chain? Great question. I don't know if you guys know this, but 
the way it used to be was once you had a delivery order, which is an order coming from overseas, you would tender it over to the freight forwarder. The freight forwarder would then send it over to a trucking company like myself and then start to get things done in an orderly fashion. They used to send it, you know, a couple of days before it arrived to port. Well, these days, if you don't have a DO in hand before two weeks to three weeks before it actually arrives, the supply chain locally for drayage and port logistics won't even grant you availability. They just turn you down. So what I've been seeing is if, and by the way, we didn't even talk about the opposite side of drayage, which is empty returns uh, congestion, right? There, there are, there are, if you, people, I'll talk about that in a second, but most importantly, if you want to survive this, and if you are importing from overseas, you need to crack down on your freight forwarders and they already have their, their own problems, right? But you have to, you have to mandate that you get your DOs over to the, the trucking companies minimally two weeks before it arrives. And you gotta, you gotta also know that, especially here in the port of Los Angeles, Port of Savannah, and actually I do quite a bit of work in, in all of these ports, but Port of Los Angeles, they are arriving here sitting for two weeks before they even birth, right? And you have to be prepared. You have to have the relationships in place. Jumping from one place to the next in the 11th hour is almost impossible. So people are paying thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on demerge per container. And I'm seeing it firsthand. And, and, and people are not even batting an eye to pay this just to get their goods into the ports. And on top of that, the empty return, which is the bringing the containers back to the steamship lines, they are just as congested due to the, the overabundance of freight that's here. So I, my suggestion is if you're an importer, if you're a manufacturer from overseas, it's important that you make sure that you, you, you mandate that these DOs, the communication has to be in place in order for you to plan your supply chain. Now you haven't even, after it gets to port, after it drays to the warehouse, capacity at the right warehouse is, 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 is important. So I, I highly suggest to anyone, and as, as, as we are owners of a warehouse as well, that's already hit capacity, you, you have to be looking for the right relationships close to the port if possible in order to, to mitigate these losses. So a lot of times, what people were doing was was bringing in containers and railing it to save cost. And now, what the, the fastest thing people are doing is they're they're draining it. They got to transload and plan it so that they can truckload or team it to their ultimate destination. Man, I think one of the things that just stuck out to me there that, of course, was relationships, and of course, the other big aspect of it uh, being warehouse space and warehouse situations where you're looking at exponentially more and, and I should say uh, increasing prices for those warehouses for incremental amounts of space and just how that situation is just really expanding rapidly. And so some of these price increases really kind of want to want to hone in on real quick is your aspect on relationship building and maintaining your relationships and how important that is and what that can mean. And do you see anything with, uh, you know, these relationships because business is business. We ha are all facing increased prices at all parts of the supply chain for sure. But do you see any way where relationships are really kind of being paramount or where some people are maybe misstepping in relationships and it's going to come back and bite them maybe a year or two down the line where it wasn't just business, but maybe poor relationship management overall? 
Well, I think people have been bit really hard recently because if you make relationships transactionally and only about pricing, in this market, it is a vendor and a carrier market. And they have all the power to choose who they want to work with. You know, me personally, I have a, a rule with my, my team. It's got to be a win-win for everybody. You know, as normally businesses like to cater to just their clients. The problem is when you just cater to your clients, you might be ignoring the other half of that relationship, which is the vendor relationship. And I think that the people that are surviving right now are understanding that they have to find a way that all parties win. You know, it's easy to tell a driver, hey, you know, if you give me a lower price right now, don't worry, I'm going to get you all, you know, all year round. But that used to work maybe two to three years ago. But in this market, if you don't have a relationship, they can easily sell their, their product for 2x, 3x uh, in times of, of crunch. So if you don't work on developing a relationship that works, that has been in place for a long time, and you don't know if you don't know the owners of the company, you don't know the, the, the decision makers, and you don't actually help each other grow, then you're going to you're going to fail. And, and we've seen clients, you know, we've had some of our top notch clients that were price driven that are now because they've waited too long to make decisions. They're paying six figures in penalties, even though I, I, I warned them, guys, we cannot play around with with capacity. Right. If you're looking and you're shopping for pricing in this market, you're going to lose it. And that's and Anthony to talk about this. You know, I'm I, I, I might be working on a, a year round project, but if someone starts shopping and delaying, giving me the paperwork because they think they can save five percent here, three percent here. And then in the end, they end up paying, you know, 200 percent more if they can even get it picked up. That's the market we're in right now. So you're you're, you're touching on something that I wanted to, to talk to you about on the reefer side of things. I want to pull up a chart real quick. Our reefer outbound tender rejection index chart. Now, this is the perfect example of what you're just illustrating in terms of managing your relationships. This is, you know, the tender rejection index is simply the rate at which carriers reject their electronic tenders from their shippers or their customers. And this thing has obviously 37% right now. Um, and I, and I want to get your perspective here, Matt, when you're talking about managing relationships, when you're, we have had a historic tightness over the last, you know, year and a half or so, not just in the reefer side, but you're talking about over a third of these contracted relationship agreements are being rejected on a daily basis over 13 months time period. So when you're saying the relationship matters, <laughs> I think this drills at home because carriers do not, if you go back to 2019 there or the early part of 2020, the rejection rates were under you know, 10, 15% for a period of time uh, for the reefer side of things. Uh, and now we're in the, the high 30s for what feels like forever. So <laughs> this to me tells me, and tell me if I'm wrong or if you think I'm wrong here, uh, I will definitely appreciate that that carriers simply can't cover everything <laughs> and they still can't cover everything, which in turn has shippers bidding against each other higher and higher the longer this stays at this level. Are you seeing any change to this here ever the last several months or so? 
Wow. I mean, I love to see the data because it coincides with exactly what I'm actually dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, I think we have to actually go deeper than what, what the data shows. If we're talking about relationship um, and the way pricing is going and the rejection orders and all that, we're seeing all of that. And I think this is actually connected to a lot of why, you know, the tech companies like Uber Freight, right? There's a reason why these tech companies can't seem to break into our industry. And I have a, a, a hypothesis. I have a theory. And it, it really is about culture, driver culture, understanding the, the mentality and psychology of these drivers or who majority of these guys that are working the boards are owner operators, right? And not to mention the type of drivers that are now in the market is different than 15 years ago when I started in freight, right? A lot of those older drivers have, have, have then moved on. And what's now in the market predominantly are ethnic enclaves that work together and they grow together. There's a lot of Southeast Asian, there's Central Asians, there's Eastern Europeans, and they all have different cultures and they all have different value systems. So what's happening is, I mean, even to this day, this year was so crazy, guys, where I had to literally put my headphones back on and dial for dollars personally, right? I literally had to go negotiate. And, and whether I was talking to someone that has a cultural background in India or China or, or, or wherever, Asia, East Asia, you have to adapt and know what their value systems are because, you know, it's not always about price. Sometimes it's about what hits this guy, you know, what, what makes his job easier? You know, what, what, what's he trying to do? Is he, is he trying to make more money or is he trying to come home and see his, his family for Thanksgiving, right? So there's all these different reasons of what's going on, not to mention price. We all have to know that at this market, everyone's paying more. You can't expect to have the, the, the same uh, prices as, as two years ago. Everything's inflated, right? I mean, Anthony, you were talking about paying more for employees. And personally, I've, I've, I've had to experience that personally. I'm worried about what's going to happen when the market drops, right? So uh, same thing in trucking. You know, to answer your question, do I see things letting up at this currently? Right now, presently, no. <laughs> it's it, 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 If anything, it's going to slightly get worse before it gets better. So um, although I will tell you, we are at like, you know, you know, from my experience on the ground level, we've been living in the apex right now. And we, and if you're here and you're still alive, you've been surviving in it. So you're going to eventually live past it. We're going to look back on it and say, whoa, that was a wild wave. <laughs> Again, I don't think things uh, uh settling down until the end of 2022. So Matthew, I, I have to ask, you know, you're involved deeply in a lot of these trends that Zach and I are dumping into. One of the things I'm interested in, I always have to ask with uh, individuals that are really kind of involved here, is there an underlying trend or is there something that you're seeing in the supply chain that not a lot of people are talking about or not is not getting a lot of, uh, you know, spotlight that really should be getting a lot more attention? And if it doesn't, really could blow up in a lot of people's faces right now. You know... I thought about that heavily. I mean, there's so many different nuances and ideas, but I think one of the things that no one was prepared for 
was the planning of raw materials and raw goods to for for the end product, whether it's packaging, right? Whether it's glass bottles. Like just the other day, I heard on on NPR that um, that spaghetti sauces are now in on halt. You know, your favorite salsas or whatever, because the demand for food and everything, there just wasn't enough planning for raw materials. And and now there's a back order. So I, I think that every industry has to look at what their raw materials are they need to produce. And then they have to source different vendors. They can't just keep one, uh, you know, one person at, or one company as their main uh, manufacturer, especially if it's overseas, they got to have a plan B and a plan C and understand that plan B and plan C are going to cost more. Right. So there are different, different things to look at. Obviously for me, I'm always looking at fuel. If fuel is spiking up and down, like, you know, that's that, you know, that has a bipolar Richter scale, then I know something's going to happen right in our industry. So I would, I would also look at that if you're on, 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 on the, on the broker side, or if you're on the freight side, you know, watching fuel, because that's going to be timed in with, and I'm, I'm no expert in it. I've just seen what happens to the cost of freight and the availability. So, um, yeah, if, 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 if I had any advice, it would be if you're, if you're a manufacturer, mind your raw goods, raw materials. I don't know what it is because whether it's glass, or steel, if it's corrugated, uh, cardboard, all of that comes into play because, you know, we also saw it in, in, in the psychology of buying throughout the pandemic, right? I mean, all of us knew about, you know, sport, or outdoor sports items like bicycles and skateboards and all of that just completely just losing its ability to produce because they ran out of raw materials to produce it on top of the already congested outbound uh, sailing schedules. And on top of that, you know, we have the issues with technology, right? What's happening in Taiwan, what's happening with the computer chips, new cards There's a cause and effect for it all. If, if I had more secret information, I'd, I'd, I'd probably keep it to myself so I can invest <laughs> in those uh, companies. But, you know, that's, that's what it is. Right on. Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I mean, obviously, if we could all predict the future in the commodities industry, that would have been that you could have made and bought the world over <laughs> at this point. Uh, right. So I have I have one last question for you. Uh, you know, in terms of what we've seen with these contract rates and spot rates and transportation fluctuation, you know, it's it's been a wild ride, as you, as you mentioned, and rates continue to go up. Uh, you know, we've heard a lot of anecdotal evidence that people are changing the way that they view contract and spot, uh, you know, negotiations. And now we're seeing mini bids or shortened cycle bids where you reevaluate rates every, you know, quarter, every week you know, versus a 12 month cycle. Are you seeing some of the same things? That's exactly what's happening right now. You know, if I were just to talk about our reefer program, we have under 70 full-time shipping clients that ship weekly where each one of them might've had a tariff that was guaranteed for a year. And mind you, we, our pricing was stable for almost four years before COVID hit. We had to adjust based on unpredictable line hauls uh, that that happen, and also, and here's another part that you may have data on: 
But line hauls with multi-stop, because we're not able to do multi-stop deliveries because these drivers are being picky, they want to make the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time. A lot of drops are now being sent to redelivery agents. And redelivery agents are our are local regionalized carrier that can hand off those items. But that also adds cost to the the ultimate cost, the ultimate uh, tariff that you have for your clients. So what's happening was you might give someone a 12-month contract and renew it with a small GRI. And now currently everyone has put in at least two to three GRIs over the last you know year. And there it's almost like we're living in a spot market. So <laughs> what's happening is at least for, for BOA, uh, our clients are, are are getting contracted rates that can be foreseen for at least one quarter, right? But in many cases, depending on the lanes and, and the intricacy and the hardness, the difficulty of the shipments, sometimes it's every two weeks. Wow. Two weeks. <laughs> Evaluating yeah. every two weeks. And GRI's general rate increases uh, for some that may not know what that means. The uh, Fantastic stuff. Anthony, do you have any more? Uh, yeah, I want to know how can people reach out to you. And of course, Matthew, thank you so much for being on today. Um, sure. One of the big ways I was able to find Matthew is that he was really active on our last episode on LinkedIn. And we were having really great conversation in the, in the, in the comment section, like we need to have him on immediately. So Matthew, how can re people reach out to you and where can they find you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn, you know, uh, I'm starting to be a little bit more active. You know, Anthony, it just so happened that I logged on because I'm doing this this staffing uh, rehire because of this. And it, it it's, it's interesting because when you said the, the great resignation uh, in the last, it, it <laughs> caught my ears and I said, oh, God, I got to listen to this mm -hmm. more. And we started having this online conversation. So sorry, uh, at Matthew Mugar uh, at, at LinkedIn, that's the best place on social. I'm also on Instagram the same way, but, you know, mostly for my professional items. I, I keep it at LinkedIn. Excellent. Excellent. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today. You've been absolutely amazing. And uh, we are going to mm -hmm. harass you to come back on again and again and again. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. It was a lot of fun. Good deal. Man, I always love hearing about the guys in the field. Yeah. You know, they, they, they feel it. They let us know what's going on. We, we have data that, you know, it's always nice, though, to have that context. It is. It is. It's someone that is successfully doing it and yeah. successfully navigating it because that changes because you hear from time to time people that are just like struggling or, you know, falling by the wayside. But he has found a way to, you know, not keep his head above water, but really kind of think ahead of right. the curve and what's going to be happening. How can he be you know, react to the upcoming trends. And I think that's all it comes down to be su being successful. This this concept of like being ahead of the curve, like instead of being the reactionary, you're trying to get in front of it. You know, obviously he has some thoughts on how to do that. Um, and I think that's the type of person you want in the space yeah. right now um, is somebody that's actively trying to figure out what to do next and how to improve the situation, which you, I think increasing lead times um, and, and, and the amount of, you know, information you get in front of your... Uh, you know, your act is very important here. So, you know, we only have a few minutes left, Anthony, um, but I wanted to bring up one more item here. So we've talked a ton about, before we get to our debate, <laughs> we've talked a ton about the maritime space. Now I wanna pull up the in, uh, inbound T use index, the IOTI chart. 
here. Uh, I talked about on Freightways Now this morning with Andrew Cox uh, a little bit, and we're seeing a little bit of a dip here. Now you see, if you look at the history, this thing was built back in, uh, or it starts back in 2019, it's mm -hmm. an index. Um, and it's showing a little bit of some calming activity here yeah. over the past few weeks. Anthony, do you, I mean, obviously this is, it's still extremely high. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like this, this is a 30 to 60 day lead time before it hits service transportation. What has been spurring this has been the consumer goods rush boom. Last year, it kind of fizzled out in December. Shippers thought, okay, we're going we're gonna to be able to get a minute. January, I'm just kidding. Yeah. And that was due to COVID restrictions and also a stimulus package that came out. Right. Do you think we might be seeing the beginnings of the tail of this? Um, from if, a consumer goods perspective? From a consumer goods perspective, maybe we are seeing, you know, uh, this realization that, hey, things are jammed up. We need to, you know, ease in a sense you can keep ordering and ordering, but there's not going to be anything that's actually going to hit the, you know, the actual mainland. And so I think what we could be seeing is a new baseline being reached. And so I think once we find out where that new baseline is and once it kind of settles there, mm -hmm. that's going to be our new normal. So that's right. been one of the phrases I've heard way too much throughout the it's pandemic. Always a buzzword word somewhere. <laughs> and so I think we are potentially heading into, and of course, I would love to hear from Henry Byers on his perspective as well, um, where the new baseline is going to settle at. And so I think once we see where that new baseline is, we can act accordingly instead of, you know, over-investing if you can over-invest in infrastructure right now or over-investing into, because you can invest for what the current situation is right now, but that might be overkill for three years, five years. I think down that's the, line. the big question for most people: is like, yeah. how much do I really want to build out? How many? How much do we want to expand the port? You know, for something that may not be here. And yeah. I think patience is the answer to an extent. We're going to have to deal with some uh, some pain points along the way, but I think a slow and steady approach is probably the smart one <laughs> for sure. And making sure that your efficiencies are in line and your network is in uh, like on point. So. For sure, I'm interested to see how this going, how low it goes, and where it settles at. For sure, yeah, demand's still arguably on point. So yeah, debate economics. All right, so we yeah. got some good ones from. Okay, so Isaiah Buchanan, I know you're not going to like this one, Zach, but the best pizza topping, um, pepperoni. Okay, so back when I was eating meat, because spicy for those pepperoni. Of you, oh no, spicy pepperoni. Back when I was. Before, I'm pescatarian, for those of you who don't know. So I like food is what that means. Fish and stuff like <laughs> that. But before then, pepperoni would have been in my go-to. But now, it is definitely cheese pizza, just because I'm... Cheese and vanilla bean, you can't go wrong. Ridiculous. Anyway. Ridiculous. Next one. Frazier Good Game. What four teams are going to make it to the college playoff? Alabama. Um... Tennessee, no. <laughs> uh, I think that we will see a Georgia sneak in there. I think we'll have two SECs. Okay. I think Ohio State will eventually be fine. And Cincinnati. N-M-S-U. Um, we also have It's not even a, a debate hot when take. you don't have. <laughs> hot take. The letter Q was unnecessary. <laughs> you don't need it in the English language, in, in like the alphabet. You don't need the letter Q. Anyway, thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, you can check us out on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Drink more water. Thanks to Matt. Exactly.